And what I learned from that is just because you decide something, you don't have to commit to it for forever. You, you can change your mind. Yeah. What's up, standouts? It's Yolanda, and this is episode number three of How She Did It. I'm interviewing my friend Allison Carpio, who is a sales copywriter for health e-commerce entrepreneurs. I wanted to interview Allison because she's able to travel internationally quite frequently and stay for extended periods of times in the city she travels to. And so I was curious to understand how she had designed her life to support that lifestyle. Whether you are interested in a career that allows you to work from anywhere, or if you're interested in switching careers, I think you will get a lot out of this episode. For links on what we chat about, check out the show notes page for this episode at nts.today forward slash three. And now let's start the show. I am a sales copywriter for health e-commerce companies, and I am just in the very beginning of starting my own career coaching business as well. Huh, I didn't know about the career coaching, so that, ooh, that makes this even more exciting. <laughs> it's really early. That's probably why you don't know. Why don't you tell me a little bit about you, like where did you grow up? And about a little bit about your childhood. Yeah, so I grew up in Sacramento, California. It's about 90 minutes from San Francisco. I grew up there because uh, my parents uh, wanted to buy a house there. They're both from the Philippines, so they immigrated here. And they worked really hard to send us to really good schools. So were you an only child or did you have brothers and sisters? I had two older sisters. Grew up in a house of all women except my dad. <laughs> oh, okay. You, your, your siblings and your yourself, you were born in the U.S., but your parents moved here and then they had kids or did you, were you born in the Philippines? Correct. Uh, we were all born here and my parents were born in the Philippines. Okay. So um, tell me a little bit about high school. Like how was that for you? Were there classes or activities that really impacted your thoughts about your what you wanted to pursue as far as a career? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> this sounds like this is going to be a good story. <laughs> well, there's a couple parts to that. So um, I went to a all-girl Catholic school to start with because they tend to have better academics and better curriculums. I learned that I didn't want to be in an all-girl environment because I grew up with two older sisters. Uh-huh. So then I transferred in sophomore year to a co-ed Catholic college. And um, my mom, she's a nurse. Um, a lot of Filipinos are nurses. So we have mm. great nursing schools. They all come here because there was a high demand. I saw her schedule. I saw all of the soft benefits of being a nurse. Like you could work three days a week, maybe 12 hours a day. And still make a really good living. Mm-hmm. You could go on vacation. You get really awesome uh, vacation time. You know, when you think about like being in a hospital all the time and, and as much as I wanted to make a difference and help out people who are sick, it just really wasn't for me. So I kind of had that um, in high school. I had that career in my mind that, you know, I was on track to do that. But at the same time, when I turned 18, when you're Filipino, you have this uh, big cotillion, uh, we call it debut party, kind of like a quinceanera for when you're 18. So I planned that all myself. I mean, we didn't want to hire anyone and I thought it was fun. So that's when I started to think maybe there's another career path for me other than nursing. Was there one thing that you can pinpoint was like the turning point in looking at 
your mom being a nurse that kind of solidified for you that maybe that wasn't for you? Yes. And I would see how stressed she came or she was when she came home. Cause you know, when you work 12 hour days yeah. and you're working with, with families who are very stressed out, I saw that she's really good at managing stress. So I think that's awesome. But for me, it was, I didn't think I could handle that kind of environment. When you graduated high school, had it become clear what you maybe wanted to do? Or was it just like, I'm just going to go to college and kind of figure out what it was? Were you leaning towards a specific career? I had no idea. (laughs) I just knew that in high school, I mean, the high schools I went to were college prep schools. So Mm -hmm. we knew that we absolutely had to go to college. Like that was a thing. Um, I had been told many times that you don't have to declare a major. And I didn't want to have to go through applying for a certain field and doing that switch if I wasn't sure. So Mm -hmm. I went in undeclared and I figure it out in my freshman or sophomore year. Did Are your sisters, older sisters, nurses? No, neither of them are. <laughs> yes. You all were looking at mom like, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and you went to California State University in Sacramento? Yeah. So I wanted to stay close to home for the time being. Um, I didn't want to rack up a ton of state debt. Um, and also uh, my dad was in the Navy, so he had a uh, vendor affairs benefits. So it was like free tuition. What? So you were, how long did it take for you to figure out what you wanted to major in? Maybe a semester and a half. So I took this, I want to say it's something like a learning track where you take, for example, if I did want to do nursing, they put me in these biology classes and all these prerequisites mm-hmm. and you were with the same people. So it was sort of like you were in a program, but it was before that. Right after that, that's when I realized I definitely don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. Even though I was good at it, like I was mm-hmm. great at those classes and I found them still pretty interesting, but I knew I didn't want to do that specifically. And also um, when I was exploring things like event planning or business and marketing, I was really, really excited and curious to learn about that. But what really, really helped me make that switch was I had talked to a real person who was in marketing and who had also considered nursing. And it was my oldest sister. (laughs) (laughs) So that really helped because I thought, oh, she's a real person who Mm -hmm. had done this. She had grown up with the same concepts that I grew up with and she's really loving it right now. Mm -hmm. So the other part of it um, that I didn't mention about nursing is beyond the benefits. It's the incredible stability that you have. Like my mom has been working at the same hospital for 20 years, which sounded really cool at the time, but now it's really scary. Like the same place for 20 years, but also there was at the time, there was always a need for nurses and you could get a job anywhere you want if you were an RN or a practitioner. Okay. But for marketing, like in, in business, I mean, you hear about companies laying off employees or businesses shutting down, but you don't hear about hospitals shutting down. So was there a, other than having the conversation with your sister, a class or a professor or some experience that helped solidify that you wanted to do marketing? So I I started taking some 101 classes, like marketing and 101. Those were really, really fascinating to me. Like I I noticed that when I was talking to people about the class or the topic, I noticed myself getting more into and engaged in those conversations and thinking about them when I wasn't even in class in a way that was uh, really exciting and 
when I was curious about it. So there was that, but also at the same time, I started helping uh, people's friends, like older friends, plan their weddings, and uh-huh. I would be the coordinator for them. I noticed that there was a difference between being in a more a structured environment versus one that's a little bit more creative. And to me, like those were the two different choices I was choosing from. It was like a hospital or a business where I was, you know, owning projects, I was creating strategies versus, you know, um, helping out with patients and stuff like that. So what were you thinking that you would do with your marketing degree once you graduated from college? Yeah, so that's a really good question because I thought maybe I'll just get an event planning degree or something like that. But um, a lot of people advised me against that because um, one, I was getting my education by planning events already. So were you thinking at that time that you would be doing personal versus corporate event planning or had you not even thought about that? I did think about that. I had talked to a couple of corporate event planners in the business fraternity I was in and one of them said something really interesting that that really stuck with me. She said, once you've done one event, one corporate event, you've kind of done them all. Mm. And for some people, that's really awesome. And they love that kind of process and, you know, iterating on something that they've already done. And for some people like me, I mean, it didn't really sound like something that I would want to keep doing if it, w- it was a little too rigid. I think You're also um, with corporate versus uh, wedding plannings, there's also that stability versus not <laughs> stable. <laughs> as well. yeah. like in a corporate environment, you have all of these big budgets, you will most likely always have a job because you're working at a corporation. But when you're doing something like a wedding or another event that maybe if you're self-employed, you have a little bit more creative freedom as far as selecting clients, even creative freedom when designing the event and things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm already sensing a theme about who you are based on how you're answering the questions now. And it makes perfect sense what you're doing now. Okay. So you graduate from Cal State. How do you, what, it, how do, how do they say that? Do they say Cal State Sacramento or is it Cal, do they do the whole thing? Uh, we say Sac State. <laughs> That's even easier. <laughs> Sac State. That, I'm sure you got some jokes from calling yourself Sac State. Yep. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we moved past it because we didn't to say the whole thing. <laughs> yes. Okay. So what did you do next once you finished college? Well, during college, I was interning, um, at a public affairs firm, which is essentially PR, public mm-hmm. relations, but for issues like, say, plastics and um, making sure the public knows how bad plastics are. And um, working at an agency was interesting in that sense. What I didn't like about it was um, I kind of wanted to work more on the consumer facing brands because I would work on projects like getting the the public aware of things like workers comp insurance fraud. It was really, really fascinating. Also kind of like, wow, you learned about a lot of the messed up things in the world. Because <laughs> 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 you're scanning through all these news and uh, figuring out uh, and finding stories and trying to make them more public. But yeah, I wanted to work more on the, I guess, corporate side of that, like representing uh, bigger brands. Like, for example, we had a client that was a grocery store. And for me, that was a lot more interesting. Okay. And how did you get these internships in college? Was it that there were, they had agreements with their school or did you just seek them out on your own? You know, I think for this one that I'm talking about, I had applied to some job board and okay. somehow I got it because I'm pretty sure a ton and ton of people had applied to that. And I don't exactly recommend that, but you know, at the time I had no idea how to look for jobs. <laughs> yeah. Was there a memorable project at either 
either of the two internships that you had that sticks out to you that helped you to figure out more about what type of work you wanted to be doing once you graduated? Yes. And I would also say the, the biggest learning from those two internships, they were both VR internships. Mm-hmm. It was more like um, I learned what I did not want to do. Oh. So uh, those two internships were really great because they're when you're interning, you're learning as much as you possibly can and seeing what it is that you like and what you don't like. So and, and you don't have to commit to it. You know, it's just an internship, which is really great. So one of the things I learned from that was um, I had a very glamorized, idea of what PR was. So then when I went into PR, I thought, this is nothing like it is that you see on TV or you read about in magazines and things like that. Yeah, I feel that things like Sex in the City really... affected what people think that PR is. Right, because Samantha's a PR person. Yes. Like, Let's go all these events. Yeah, so I, I, I learned um, that I wanted to work in-house at a company. Because the thing with, with working in an agency is your your time is split up between a lot of different projects mm-hmm. and um, you don't really have control over that. What did you do next? Yeah, after that, I went back to the job boards, Craigslist to be specific. Um, Craigslist was still is a great place to find jobs. Like sometimes you have to worry about like, um, this seems a little sketchy. I also think that maybe Craigslist has evolved since then or changed because, you know, this was a while ago for me, mm-hmm. seven or so years. <laughs> so I found a job there and it was more consumer facing and it was a marketing role. What was interesting was, so, so the job was for two local dealerships. So I would be doing okay. automotive marketing, which... Mm-hmm as you may imagine, is very highly, highly competitive. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For me, that was really exciting. So what types of things did you do? Yeah. So since I was the only person who wasn't customer facing, I did a ton. So I trained salespeople on using the database. I did all of the emails and all of the website promotions. And at a very high level, my job was to get people through the door or get people talking to a salesperson or to someone in the service department. Was this a role that they decided to hire? Was this like a new thing or were they replacing someone? It was a brand new thing. That was also a challenge because we were all getting in the groove of having this new role and, you know, who owns what, whose job is this? Um, And also I was splitting my time between two locations. But I mean, at the same time, um, it really kept me on my feet because um, I had to always keep thinking forward. It was like this month we hit our sales numbers and that was great. What about next month? So So in that role, if someone wanted to excel at it, what skills did you have to have and then that you had to develop? I would say beyond the typical organization and taking action and being a go-getter, I would say a lot of that is communication. So because the space is so competitive, people tend to panic a lot when Mm -hmm. something small goes wrong. If your website is down or maybe it's 2 p.m. on a Saturday and not that many people are coming in. So for me, um, a lot of my job was to keep people calm and ease their tensions when they're when they're freaking out about this. Um, a lot of that was thinking analytically, but also communicating with people as they are in this very high pressure environment. 
Was there someone or a situation at that job that helped or hindered you? I had a boss up in the corporate office. So she used to do what I do and she understood everything that I had gone through. She had a very good influence on a lot of the people that I worked with. She knew exactly how I would need to communicate with certain people to essentially compel them to do something that I thought was good for the business. So she helped me understand how to build those relationships and be a better communicator so that the the job itself was a lot easier. And um, we both moved the business forward together. Mm, Okay, very cool. So why did you leave that job and what did you do next? Yeah, so this was around 2011 or so. And this was like when the tech scene was getting really, really hot in San Mm -hmm. Francisco. I was still in Sacramento at the time. I was really curious about that. And I knew I wanted to stay in marketing. However, with in the industry, in the automotive industry, um, a lot of that is really old fashioned. So it's almost like um, the willingness to adapt and try anything new to see what works was not there. Mm-hmm. And in tech, that's what appealed to me. And, and beyond that, I also wanted to move to San Francisco. <laughs> Why? I to get out of Sacramento. <laughs> I have lived in Sacramento for so long mm-hmm. and I tend to like bigger cities. I just really wanted to go there. I I noticed anytime I had visited San Francisco or I'd gone to places like New York and I came back to Sacramento, instead of that feeling of, oh, I feel at home. I'm excited to be home. I felt really sad. Okay. And so you got the position at Clean Me as a marketing communications manager? Yeah. So this is a really good story. So I had told my company, the two um, automotive dealership locations at the time, that I wanted to move on. And I told them I was going to look for a new job in San Francisco. And they freaked out. And they said, well, what if you work part time while you're job searching? (laughs) So I said, yeah, of course, I will definitely do that. Because, you know, I mean, that's great. I'll have time to job search. And I'll also be making money so that I'm not accepting just any job that comes my way. That was really pivotal for me because it gave me the peace of mind to be picky. Okay, I have two questions. The first question is, How long did it take you from the time where you were feeling that you wanted to move to a bigger city, likely San Francisco? How long did it take for you to make that declaration to your company? I can't remember exactly, but if I were to guess, it was about three to six months or so. But the the turning point was when I had gone to New York for the weekend. I had met people and, you know, people ask you what you do. And I realized, wow, I'm really not proud of what I do. I came back and then I realized I didn't want to live in Sacramento anymore. And that also I wanted to find a new job. So I found, I, I almost thought of those two things, my location where I lived and my job as very similar. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was unhappy with both of those and uh, those two were almost dependent of each other. Yeah. And so my second question was, did they relax once you said that you would continue to work part time or did they actively seek to find someone to replace you? Like, for example, when I moved to L.A. from Atlanta and I gave my boss two months notice and it seemed like that things didn't start cranking up until we were getting really close to that date that a lot of activity finally happened? Yeah. So that's a good question because when I was there part-time, part of my job was helping find a replacement. 
I was the first person in that role. Um, I knew how to interview for these people. And also I would be training them. It, it worked out in that sense because we we both had that expectation that um, I wasn't going to be around for forever. And they, they fully understood that. <clears throat> so how did you find the position at Clean Me? And what do they do? Oh, yeah. So while I was job searching, I had found that because I was entering a whole new industry, it was very hard to even get interviews. So before Clean Me, I got involved with an organization called Code for Sacramento. What they did was they would create these projects and apps that were for the community. A very good example is Nextdoor. At that time, it was so small and like no one was using it. But it, I mean, it's an app for neighbors to connect with each other and talk about things like like any robberies that happened or if you lost anything, like that's really good for the community. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the things that Code for Sacramento did. And what I did was um, I volunteered as the business side, the project manager, the person who coordinates the events, even did some of the partnerships and sponsorships and um, things like the website. What was really awesome about that, even though it was a volunteer position and I wasn't getting paid for it, is I could put that on my resume as an, my title was a program manager and here are all the projects that I worked on and it was in the industry. <laughs> so that was good for Sacramento. And that was like a very part-time thing as well that I was juggling with while I was working part-time at my last company. What I also did to sort of enter the tech industry, I would volunteer at industry events. So um, one of them was an event held by an accelerator called 500 Startups. Yes. And they had this really awesome event for people in marketing and founders who um, want to get better at marketing and I didn't have to pay to go because <laughs> I was volunteering and I got to meet the people. That is like the best hack. I did the same thing. I would volunteer like to sit at the desk and handle registration. So then you get like FaceTime with the person hosting and then you're at the event for free. Yeah, exactly. And there was another founder there volunteering as well and we really hit it off. Her name was Keisha. She was an investment banker turned coder programmer. Wow. Very interesting. Wow. <laughs> so I thought she was really fascinating. And she told me about the startup that she was building called Clean Me. You have a subscription and get the cleaner comes to your house, say, every two, three weeks or a month. Mm-hmm. And you pay through the app. So what I helped her with was I helped her develop customer avatars and, you know, write the copy on her website so that I had that on my resume and my portfolio as well. Mm-hmm. And I could call myself a marketing communications manager. She's like, you call yourself whatever you want. I don't care. <laughs> So what types of things did you do there? I distilled all of our messages down to three different points and three different use cases. So for example, if you have tons of roommates and no one is doing the cleaning, so just let us do it for you so mm-hmm. that you guys aren't fighting all the time. And it's also for couples. No one's doing the cleaning. Mm-hmm. You guys can enjoy going to a brunch together and don't have to worry about cleaning the fridge. And different scenarios like that made people understand, oh, this product is for me. What was really great about this that I'll add to my job search was when I was looking for roles in tech in San Francisco, I was looking for roles called marketing specialist, marketing coordinator. But because I had these roles and these projects and experiences that I've done, I ended up landing a manager role instead. It was, it was funny because it's like I was shooting lower, but then because yeah. I had all those experiences, I ended up with something with a lot more responsibility. Why do you think you were shooting lower? 
I think it's because I was going into a new industry. And also I had this barrier in my mind that because I didn't go to Berkeley or Stanford or Harvard, that I wasn't qualified for a better role, which is mm. saying that out loud now is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time it was very real for me. So what skills did you have to develop that made you excel at that role? Okay. There's a couple things. One is empathy. It's being able to put yourself in the shoes and the mind of your customer. So because I was able to understand the gripes that people dealt with, something like a clean house, mm -hmm. it helped me crystallize the message that we were giving to them. Also, when you're, whenever you're working for a really small company, I think the curiosity really helped me excel because I was always asking questions to Keisha, the founder. I was always curious as to why things worked out. And whenever you ask why, you usually get closer to an answer. And when you get those answers, you're able to get results. How did you develop empathy? Was that something that you had already developed or was it something that you really had to train yourself on how to have it? If you do want to learn it, I, I think the easiest way is talking to people face to face and understanding who they are, especially if they're a friend. Because if they're your friend and they are spilling out their pain points to you, and you already care that, about that person, you could easily have more empathy for them because they are already your friend. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. So were you doing the Code for Sacramento and Clean Me or at the same time or were there overlaps in working for both of those companies? Yes, there were overlaps and I was doing them for the, at the same time. So like these projects were all voluntary for me to build my portfolio. Looking back now, I would have probably charged like a really, really small fee. Mm -hmm. But what was great is that Keisha, the founder of Clean Me, agreed to give me a really good testimonial and to be my reference whenever I was job searching. Mm -hmm. So there was always that expectation that, you know, I'm not doing this because I don't have boundaries or... I just have a limited amount of time, but it was, I wanted to help her and she also wanted to help me as well. Okay. So I, I imagine that you were able to do these things on a volunteer basis because you were doing, were you still doing the part-time work with the dealership? So that allowed Very for you? Part -time. It was starting to dwindle down because I had finally hired someone. And then eventually at some point we both decided that we didn't need each other anymore. Mm -hmm. um, that gave me more time to job search and then focus on getting more experience and projects at uh, Clean Me and Code for Sacramento. Okay. And so how were you surviving once you were no longer working for the, the dealership and you're doing these two volunteer projects? How, how did you take care of yourself? Well... Luckily, I didn't have student debt. So the very first time, yeah. the very first time I got a full-time paycheck, I put away like 80% of it. I just put uh, in my savings. Mm -hmm. And that was, that, that was really natural to me because, um, my parents had always taught me to be scared about those kinds of things. Yeah. <laughs> in that case, it came very handy. So I just always put away money all the time. Um, no matter what. How did the role at Tolly Talia, yes. How did that role come about? Yeah, so I was looking so hard at this point and I joined this really awesome program called Find Your Dream Job by Ramit Sethi. You've probably heard of this. Yes, that's, 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 that. yes, that's how we, well, we don't know each other through that course, but we know each other through Ramit. Yes, correct. Part of his tribe. Mm -hmm. So I joined that program and what I did was I had been networking with tons and tons of people 
asking them for coffee, hopping on Skype. And even beyond that, also telling people that I was looking for a specific role. Um, one day, one of my friends texted me and he said, Hey, my friend's company is hiring. Do you want me to introduce you to her? And I said, Yeah, sure. I'll talk to her. I mean, there's marketing roles. That's great. I had connected with the friend. Her name is Christina. And she's now my really good friend. After I decided that I wanted to apply, she introduced me to the hiring manager. And then we hopped on a phone call. And by then, I had done a lot of research on the company and found out that I had another second connection. I had a mutual friend who was connected to one of the founders of the company. So that was really awesome too. And I leveraged that in the interview. And then when it came time to do the in-person interview, I had done so much preparation to prepare for the interview and come up with a plan of what I would do if I was hired. And I think beyond my experience, um, I think interviewing and preparing for the interview really is what got me the job. What do they do? What is, what are, what is, Oh, that's a very good question. Let's start there. <laughs> so let's say you are Coca-Cola and you're this enormous company. You have all of these suppliers and vendors to work with. Um, let's say you get your glass from Acme Corporation and your bottle caps from another company. So if you're this big, you have hundreds and thousands of suppliers, but how do you communicate with them and how do you make sure that you're paying them and everything's on time? So what Talia does is it keeps all the communication and all of the invoices and the purchase orders all in one place. What did you do there? I managed all of the digital marketing. It was their emails that also included things like webinars and content and things like that. You had always done inbound marketing because that's what you did at the VW place. How was this job different? Yeah. Yeah, it was a whole different beast. It wasn't just a big, a bigger animal. It was like a beast. <laughs> At this point, we mean we have a lot of investors and, you know, when you're working with Fortune 500 companies, the pool is so, so small. So the competition is very fierce. For me, even though I had experience in digital marketing and I had the fundamentals down, I still had the desire and good thing I did to keep learning and keep sharpening those skills because I was doing a lot. It wasn't like I was focusing only on Google ads. Facebook ads weren't a thing at the time. So like Google and LinkedIn ads or or just email marketing. We had such lofty goals that if we wanted to hit those goals, we would need all of those people or like people to support this whole function. But you know, it was just me. What I learned to do was be very brutally honest about what was working and what needs to be prioritized. Because when you're, when you have this much responsibility and you have these really aggressive goals, it comes down to prioritization because you can't do everything at once. And having that analytical background and being able to say, hey, these numbers are showing us that we're performing in X, Y, and Z, but not A, B, C, really helped with the prioritization and making sure that we were getting the most for what we're investing our time and money in. As you were talking about that, and I'm realizing, yeah, this is a totally different beast than what your experience was. What did you present to the company that allowed them to feel convinced and take a chance with someone that didn't have any any 
experience doing inbound marketing for like larger companies? Like, what did you do? Like, how did you convince them? <laughs> yeah, so I took the job description and what they were looking for. I also took a lot of notes when I was talking to the hiring manager for what they were looking for. And the great thing about digital marketing is you could see all of their efforts online. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> a good example is um, I took a lot of their ads and said how I would tweak it and what kind of results we could expect from it and things like, oh, well, your social media is blah, blah, blah. And here's what I would recommend. What was great about the plan that I had presented to them, not only was it very specific that showed that I had done the research, but it could also talk high level with things like metrics and um, goals that we were able to achieve. The thing about that is that no one really does this. I've told so many friends about this strategy of presenting a plan to companies, but no one really does it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, simply doing that, even if it's only 80% your best work, really puts you ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. Was there something that really helped you to excel or like to feel like, like you're really clicking in this job? Yes, we plan monthly webinars and like we wanted to double our webinar registration because with webinars, if someone shows up, we could easily close that deal. Mm -hmm. And the thing about working with Fortune 500 companies is the sales cycle takes about a year <laughs> on average. Yeah. You sound like you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was this one time where we had this webinar scheduled and I wrote out the um, registration page and the email campaign and all of that. I had scheduled it for 9 a.m. the next day. And I remember getting to work at like 9.05. <laughs> and going straight to the registration to see what those numbers are and seeing that all the registration numbers were pouring in. Nothing makes me more excited yeah. than refreshing the report and seeing that number go up. Mm -hmm. But what was really exciting was um, the companies that had registered for that specific webinar were companies like Starbucks and Coca-Cola and all these other really big companies I had never even thought of. Mm. So for me, that was really, really rewarding to see those kinds of results and seeing what the impact that um, my efforts had. So why did you leave? So as I had written a lot of more landing pages and email campaigns, I noticed that I didn't want to be a generalist. And I realized I also wanted to focus more on the copy side of it and managing the strategy for copy and all of that. What I loved about copy is that you can measure the results from it. And one of the things that I wanted to change was work with companies who worked with smaller companies because I felt like one of the reasons why there was only one person doing all digital marketing is because it wasn't as good of an investment as something like in-person events mm. or inside sales. My work didn't have as much of an impact on the overall business as something like one event. Yeah. And so you moved to Kismetrics. Yeah. So um, Kismetrics had a free trial, which was a very good indicator for me because all I had to do was get people into the free trial. Digital marketing was a better investment for that company. Mm -hmm. And I found that um, role because one of my friends had interviewed there and she had been working with them. She actually got an offer from them, but decided that she didn't want to take it and she wanted to live somewhere else. So she introduced me to the hiring manager. Ah. I told her that I was looking. It went on from there. And so what does Kismetrics do? They have an 
online analytics platform for e-commerce and software companies. Sort of like Google Analytics, but for your product. You were a marketing and content strategist there. So what does that mean for Kismetrics? What were you doing? <laughs> it was a very fancy way of saying copywriter. <laughs> <laughs> so what I did was I wrote all of the copy for the website, for our split tests, for any landing pages where we wanted to capture lead information and for all of our emails to get people to sign up for our free trial. Okay. I'm assuming you had to be a really good writer and you had to be like fast at your writing. And this is something that I'm really interested in. And it's one of the main reasons why I wanted to talk to you. Like, I feel like I'm such a slow writer. How do you write good and fast? That's a really great question. And this answer might disappoint you. <laughs> um, part of it is process which is very, very, very unsexy. No one wants to hear about process when it comes to writing. So a good example for me is um, I know that I write best early in the morning. So I block off two or three hours in the morning to just write because my mind is so fresh. It's very clear. And, I just, and I'm a morning person, okay. so that also helps. The other part is your mindset. And from what I've gathered, um, people who write slowly or think they write slowly, is because they might be worried about what people will think when they put this out there. Mm -hmm. And then another part of it is research. So when I write any copy, I had already talked to many people that I'm selling to already, many past customers. I had read service survey data. I had um, researched any data about the product or the industry. So if I'm stuck on something, it's not because I don't know what to say. It's more like, how do I make this crystal clear or how do I position it in a certain way where research usually solves that? Mm. How did you figure out what worked for you? It was trying out a lot of different things and taking note of what I produced, how I felt about it, and what the result was. So another example is there was this one day where I had a deadline that I committed to, and it was a very reasonable deadline. However, I also had a ton of meetings back to back, and it's really hard to switch from meeting mode to creating and writer mode. And I noticed that. And luckily, I didn't miss the deadline, but it was definitely not my best work. And I communicated that to my boss. So what I ended up doing that day forward was for every Wednesday morning, I would block off three or four hours to work from a cafe or work from home where no one can bother me. I would not be on chat, on Slack, or on any type of messenger. I would not check my emails. It was simply dedicated writing time. And that really helped. Sidebar here. I really appreciated Allison's process for how she writes. The books Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott and On Writing by Stephen King are also excellent resources as well if you want to up-level your process or your output or the quality of your writing. Links to both books can be found on the show notes page at nts.today forward slash three.
So you went from copywriter at Kismetrics and then you moved into a different role? Yeah. So I realized at this company, I want to do more than copy. A couple of weeks into my role there at Kismetrics, a product marketing manager started and she worked really closely with me on the copy on how to position our products. And I would go and write the messaging. And I realized, man, I want to do that. I want to do both of it. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to do the research myself, create the positioning of the product and go write it. Help me understand the difference between like a copywriter and then someone who's doing product marketing. So it varies from company to company at Kissmetrics. The product marketing manager would work closely with the product manager to understand the product. And then they would come up with the messaging. And then what she would do is she would take this messaging doc that she had come up with, give it to me and say, hey, go write copy. So I realized I wanted to do all of that. So I told my boss, like, hey, I'm, I'm really interested in this and um, I'd love to learn more about it. How do I do that? She recommended I work closely with the product marketing manager at the time. I shouted her on a lot of things. And luckily, she was so willing to help me out and teach me everything that she knew. When the day came when she decided to leave Kismetrics, it was a no-brainer for my boss to promote me instead and give me a raise because I was getting more responsibility. Mm. Okay. So going back to having that conversation with your boss, how did that go? How did that conversation go? How did you convince your boss? Well, while I was shadowing Gira, I had taken on a couple of mini projects that she didn't have time for. Mm. So I had sort of already assumed the role at a very small scale. And when she left and my boss came to me and said, hey, do you want to do this? I didn't really have to convince her because it made more sense for the company to hire within than find someone outside. Economically, since I had already been with the company, I understood the product and I had already done sort of those mini projects. It made a lot of sense for them. I I didn't have to do convincing. The one thing she did tell me that time she called me into her office to ask me if I wanted this role. The one thing I did not do was talk about pay. Luckily, she's really awesome. And she gave me a really fat raise without me having to negotiate it. But she said, also, you deserve this, but make sure you talk about pay right away when someone comes to you asking you if you want to take on a bigger role. Like, don't wait for that to happen. When she brought that up to you, not the conversation of next time, bring up pay. But when she said, hey, would you be interested in this job was pay something that you were thinking about or was it not absolutely it was that would have been the time to bring it up and so why didn't you negotiate that i was scared i don't know or I, I knew i was going to negotiate down the road i'd never been in a position where someone had come to me asking if i wanted a role usually i had to fight for it mm. You left Kissmetrics and you started your own thing. Why did you decide to do your own thing and how did you make it happen? Yeah. So I was getting really, really, really into copywriting and I joined this premium paid copywriting community where there's tons of copywriters and business owners. I started to get a little jealous of them. Like they were working on these really cool projects and that's when I noticed I didn't want to be at Kissmetrics forever and work on only one company. Which is really funny because back when I was at a PR agency, I was like, I only want to work for one company. Mm -hmm. And then here I am full circle. Yeah. Wanting to work with many people. (laughs) And what I learned from that is just because you decide something, you don't have to commit to it for forever. You you can change your mind. Yeah. 
maybe eight or nine months into my job at Kissmetrics, I had started freelancing. I joined a program where someone would teach me how to build my freelancing business for copywriting specifically. Do you want to divulge who that coach was and that community? Oh, absolutely. It's Kevin Rogers at Copy Chief. He helped me understand what I was good at that I could sell to people, but also he introduced me to clients. Mm -hmm. So So what did you discover that you were good at? My marketable skill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Two things. First one is email copy for really, really big companies, Mm -hmm. particularly in the health space. And then split testing because at Kissmetrics, we did tons of split testing. So why the health space? Because you don't have a background in the health space. So that was the other part of why I wanted to start freelancing is I wanted to get out of tech and work with a more direct to consumer. Mm -hmm. The bigger, more underlying reason was I had grown up in a Filipino family where what we would be eating all the time is white rice and greasy meat and very, very little vegetables. Mm -hmm. So I would see all my aunts and uncles throughout the years developing diabetes and hypertension. And I did not want to be those people. Mm -hmm. So I started focusing on my health and I wanted to help companies help other people be healthier. Mm, Okay. Um, Eventually I had a lot of client work to do. And the way that I find clients now is simply through networking, building relationships with people in the same industry and going to qualified events that have all of these people. Mm -hmm. So the principle of finding a job in that aspect is very similar to finding clients. You're just offering something different. I've been full-time freelancing for maybe nine months now, and there's never a day where I'm like starving for money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know. Cause you like go off to Spain for three months and like live the life. <laughs> and then I think you've also been to Argentina, Argentina, Peru and Colombia <sighs> as well. I'm not, I'm not going to be <laughs> jealous. I'm just going to be appreciative. I remember, oh gosh, cause I saved it. I screenshot the message because you posted it on <laughs> Facebook. This was back. This is almost a year ago. Uh-huh. And you said, <laughs> arrive safely in Espana, our home for the next three months. Living abroad has always been a dream until it became a decision. And that sentence was like, okay, Yolanda, how long have you been talking about you want to live abroad? It's always been this dream. It doesn't happen until you like make the decision and then you figure out how to make it happen. Yeah, exactly. And with the decision comes a lot of action and behaviors. So I think that's what makes it very real is when you're making it happen, whether you're talking to people and figuring out how they did it, or you're doing things like applying for a working visa. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're doing the copywriting for health entrepreneurs, but now you're adding on something else? Or are you thinking you want to transition out of doing copywriting or it's just just another piece of the Allison empire? It's so early. Right now I'm in the very fun experimental phases. When I decided that I want to do it, I was really excited. But at the same time, I also didn't want to get rid of copywriting because I love doing Mm -hmm. it too. So my guess is I might be doing both at the same time. But right now I'm doing some beta testing coaching with uh, women who want 
to look for their next dream job in sales and marketing, something that's not technical. Yeah. So I'm coaching a couple of test clients right now to see how it goes and see if it's something I really want to do and if it's something I'm really good okay. at. Well, did this idea come as a result of people asking, how did you do what you're doing? Or was it like, oh, I think that this is something that people would want? I, I would say both. It was a lot of people had come to me for job searching advice and clarity into what they're looking for. And then also looking back at my history and the jobs that I got and the moves that I've made, it's something that I've wanted to share with the world for a really long time. As a entrepreneur and no longer having a boss and doing copywriting for other people, what types of skills did you have to learn how to do in order to manage your own business? Yes, there were a lot of things. I'd say it's like amplifying some of the skills that I had. One of them was, of course, networking, having a mentor and someone that who is already ahead of you and can help you um, get to where you want to be. So for example, on my the copy side of my business, I have a copywriting coach who helps me write copy and review my copy. And then I had Kevin Rogers who helped me build my copy business. So those are two very valuable mentors for mm-hmm. me. The second one is when you transition from being full-time employed to self-employed, there are very subtle things that I do that makes a huge difference in my productivity and overall happiness. One of them is I learned that I'm not good at working from home in my pajamas all day. Some people love that. I can't do it either. Yes. Especially when everyone's getting ready to go to work and you're just kind of like Mm -hmm. chilling and hanging out. You don't have that same ritual. So I I made that ritual for myself and it made such a big Mm -hmm. difference. So yeah, I would say it, it was mentorship, not just with people who are ahead of you, but also your peers as well. So like I have a Slack group that I'm a part of and we're all figuring things out together and I'm going to each other for support. Like, hey, my client said this or like I'm proposing this to a client. Is this the right direction? What do you guys do? So we kind of bounce ideas off of each other and and help each other out. And then the third theme I would say would be investing in your business, whether that means paying $3,000 for an event that's going to give you a lot of good relationships and connections or it's um, investing in a certain training that's probably anywhere from five to ten thousand dollars it's usually always mm-hmm. worth it what are some flat size that you chosen to not invest in developing but you think would help you to do your current job better I would say outsourcing things I don't like doing good example is I do my own bookkeeping mm-hmm. because I kind of think it's fun <laughs> like I like looking at numbers and seeing how my money is yeah. Uh, but at the same time, there are things that do eat up my day and energy where I could be focusing that on something mm. else. In the future, I would look at how I'm spending my time and see what could be outsourced and um, what I would want to do mm. myself. So when you need a boost of confidence, what do you do? Ooh, I work out. Okay. <laughs> I go to the gym, I lift some weight, watch myself in the mirror, and I work out. <laughs> or I go to a dance class. I went to a dance class last night and I'm super sore right now. What type of dance class? <laughs> It was, so it's called hot choreography, but it was like a Beyonce dance. Oh, that sounds amazing. It works. (laughs) 
Name five apps or services that you can't live without. Gather Table. It's a meal prepping app where I put in all of my recipes. Like, so I have recipes A, B, and C, and then I add them to the week. So when I go to the grocery store, it has all of the ingredients on there that I need to shop for. Yeah. That one's really awesome. And then, um, I don't, I think that's like the biggest one. <laughs> I'd say that would count for five apps for me. Do you have a Keystone habit that if you do it either daily or several times a week just sets you up for producing your best work? Well, I have a couple. One of them would be planning out my calendar and making sure my meetings aren't all in one day or they're like in the afternoons. The other would be getting changed before 7.30 a.m. in the morning. (laughs) Getting ready for the day before 7.30 a.m. Because if I don't do that, then that means I'm lingering around and doing something Mm. else. I want you to pick a number between 5 and 135 and then I'll tell you why I had you pick that number. Wow. Why is this so hard? (laughs) 44. (laughs) You know what? I'm sorry. Let me redo that. Pick an odd number between 5 and 135. I don't like the numbers. 43. (laughs) Where are you going to like them today, Allison? (laughs) Okay. Okay, 43. Okay, so I have this book that's called Listography. And what it does is it's designed to help you create your autobiography through list making. So on page 43, you have to list your proud accomplishments. Ooh, okay. Well, I suppose this is a really good summary of this um, podcast. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I'll start with the most recent. Well, last week, I helped my client increase their revenue by 30% and units sold by 28% in just seven days Uh with the emails that I wrote. Closing that client was a big accomplishment as well because uh, she is someone that I only dreamed of working maybe last year or so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Getting the promotion and raise at Kissmetrics, getting the job at Kissmetrics because that was a very highly desired job, getting a raise at Talia, getting the job at Talia because that was very overly ambitious, traveling to Spain for three months, traveling to Argentina by myself, traveling to Peru and Colombia, doing all of that in one year. It's crazy. (laughs) It was pretty crazy. (laughs) I know I I had so much envy for people who studied abroad, so I I wanted to make that Mm -hmm. happen for myself. And then in the past month, I've deepened a lot of my relationships with my friends and family, and I think that's a really big accomplishment for me because I think I had um, ignored it for a little bit. So I like to talk instead of self-care, I like to talk about squad care, which is a perfect segue into what you just said. So who are the people you turn to when you need help? Who's in your squad? Ooh, so uh, my best friend Nadia from high school. We are both very focused on personal growth and self-care. So naturally, that means we care for each other. <laughs> there's also Raj and Andy, who we both know very yeah. well. And then there's my parents. Even though they grew up in a very different time than I do, and they can't imagine the idea of working for yourself and traveling yeah. somewhere. They're still very supportive. (laughs) And then, of course, my sisters. Who are some women of color possibility models that inspire you and that kind of show you that it's possible to live your dreams? A very recent one, I would say, is Allie Wong. Oh, I love her. (laughs) She's not only hilarious, but I think what I admire the most is that she's in this space where it's very male dominant, which I find myself in Mm -hmm. very much. And she's the only 
Asian American in there and she's made a name for herself and she's awesome and she's very unapologetic about it. If anyone wants to reach out to you and find you online, where would you suggest they go? Uh, yeah, go to alisoncarpio.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N-C-A-R-P as in Peter Io.com. And I'm sure um, they might be in the Yes, notes, I right? will put them. Yes, you are stealing my lines, Allison. That's what I was about to say. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. So the name of this podcast is How She Did It. If you could go back in time and give your younger self some career advice, what would you say? Well, first I would start off with your college education does not matter because I had believed that for so, so, so long. And I want people to understand that today and also to start as early as you possibly can in investing yourself. It's not too late where you are right now. Um, and it's not too early either. Always focus on your personal growth. Um, no matter what the rules are out there, no matter what some people are telling you, make sure you choose yourself and focus on your best self. Mm -hmm. Okay, standouts. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Allison as much as I did. Here are a few things I learned or that stood out to me during our conversation. Number one, I learned a debut is the Filipino version of a debutante ball or quinceanera. Number two, I loved when Allison said, just because you commit to something, you don't have to commit to it forever. It reminds me and hopefully you to be flexible, to experiment, and if things aren't meeting my expectations, that it's okay to move on. And number three, I learned that process, mindset, and research are what helped Allison learn how to write good copy and write it fast. For our listener feedback question this week, I would love to hear how your observation of someone doing their job or some career advice you were told made you do the opposite. For example, Allison's mom was a nurse, but she saw the lifestyle and decided it wasn't for her. Send your audio to podcast at notthestandout.club and I'll compile a bunch of responses into a mini episode. The background music for this episode is from Ryan Little. All things we discussed in this episode can be found on the show notes page at nts.today forward slash three. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it if you shared it with your friends and also rated the podcast on iTunes. More ratings means more listeners will be able to discover the show in the iTunes store. 